One of the things that you learn growing up, and I don't know exactly when you learn this, but at some point when you're growing up, you learn that every family is a little bit different. <laughs> you pick up real quick that like every family isn't exactly like your family. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. It's a, maybe it's a good thing when you learn that like every other family may not be as quite as weird as your family. <laughs> Each family really has its own way. There's this way about a different family, right? Each family has its unique character, characteristics, and way of doing things. My family growing up, for instance, was a family of very loud talkers, okay? And so in order to function in our family, you had to match the intensity and the intensity just kind of kept rising and rising and you had to look for that window of opportunity when you could get your two cents into the conversation and you had to be very quick about it you couldn't lay back you had to insert yourself into the conversation this was our family and then of course mary joe's family is just a big family (laughs) it's italian family when I first came into Mary Jo's family, it was all about meeting all the cousins and the aunts and the uncles and the first cousins and the second cousins and the third cousins and the second cousins by marriage and the third cousins by way of, you know, some other capacity of becoming a part of the family. Just an amazing big family. There was another interesting family that were friends of ours growing up. And um, it was a family that had five kids in this family, so seven total. And um, when, we, when we were very good friends with them, um, at that stage of their family, uh, there were three of them that were teenagers that were driving. And so you had five drivers in the house, and that's a lot of drivers. And... The problem with that, though, with this particular family was that they weren't very good drivers. In fact, they were terrible drivers. They all drove this one family sedan. And I was trying to remember what car it was. And I want to say that it was like a, like a Dodge Colt or something like that. I can't, I can't remember exactly what it was. But they were always getting into wrecks, this family. They were always banging that car into somebody, and it was incredible. There wasn't a quarter panel on this vehicle that was the original quarter panel. I mean, it was a... Who knows what the car was at this point. And we moved away from where, geographically, where they lived, and my dad um, had to call... And, uh, uh, and, and this person call, called the church where, we were, where, where my dad was pastor. And, and it just so happened that this gentleman picked up the phone at the church when my dad called. This was years later. And it was, it was so glad to talk to him. And, and it, you know, hey, good to hear from you. Hey, real quick, can you hang on? Um, I'm on the other line with the insurance company making a claim. <laughs> and so the guy put it, my dad on hold and my dad just, died laughing. I mean, nothing had changed. Nothing had changed whatsoever. So there's just a way 
of a family <laughs> that seems to be, uh, you know, when you look at different families. And when you come to our lives as believers, as Christians, we're in a family. Amen? If we're in Christ, if you're in Christ, the Spirit of God has brought you into the family of God. You have been born into, you have been grafted into, you have been adopted into in every possible way that there is to be a part of a family. The Spirit of God has made you a part of the family of God. And God has a certain way about his family. Just like all of us individually have certain ways about our family, God has a way, God has a character to his family. There is a way that God wants his family members to be. In our text tonight in Romans, the Apostle Paul tells us about being in the family of God. And so if, if we're in God's family, these ways of God's family are ways that we are to live in God's family. Okay, so if you're in God's family, Paul's going to talk to us tonight about ways of being in the family, ways of conducting ourselves in the family. So let's pick it up. The first one is this, live, if you're in the family of God, live with an obligation to the spirit. Let's pick it up. Verse 12 of chapter 8 of Romans, it says this, Therefore, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. If you're in Christ, you're in the family. Amen? If you're in Christ, you're in the family. And if you've been brought into the family, then you need to kind of get up to speed with the ways of God's family. And one of the things that Paul says here is that we need to realize that we have an obligation to the Spirit. In fact, he begins to say it in kind of the other way, in the negative way. He says, therefore, brothers, we are debtors. And then he says, not to the flesh, but we're debtors to the Spirit to the spirit of God. We're not, we're not, we don't have an obligation anymore to the flesh, in other words. As far as obligations go, as far as responsibilities or obligations or whatever word, you know, look it up in a thesaurus, whatever, and put them all up there, whatever obligation we might have to the flesh has been canceled. It's been canceled. And so we no longer have that obligation to the flesh but we do have an obligation to the spirit. We are debtors, but not to the flesh. We're debtors to the spirit. We have an obligation to live according to the spirit of God, to live as spiritual people, to live as the people of God in the family of God. And there's one thing about the people that are in the family of God, they're spiritual children. We're spiritual children. And if indeed you are a part of the family and you've been brought into the family, you're a spiritual child of God. And you need to realize that there's an obligation that you have to live as a spiritual person, to live as a spiritual child of God. Therefore, we are debtors, not to the flesh, not to the flesh, to live according to it. That obligation has been cut off. That, that nerve has been severed. That 
obligations been cut off. He says, because if you live according to the flesh. Now see, the, I think one of the things you can pick up on this as we've been going through these last couple chapters is that, that you can live not realizing what's actually been, that's, what's happened in your life as a believer. Chapter 7, he talked about no longer being under the dominion of sin and being under the dominion of Christ. No longer being a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness, a slave to Christ. But realizing this, and I think you can live with, oh, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a physical person, and so I just do physical things, and, and that's, that's what I do, you know. But for the Christian, no, you're, 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 a, you're, a, you're a part of, a, of the family of God. And, and we got to realize what this family is. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's a spiritual family. And, and you are a spiritual person and you no longer have that obligation to live in the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Paul says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And Paul's basically repeating some of the same ideas that he spoke about earlier in this chapter. If you look up at verse 5, he says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And on and on and on. You can look at the verses 5 through 8. Here, he's basically kind of reiterating that. He's kind of restating it in a different way. And, and, and that's kind of a, a form of, of good communication because when you get, you know, you, you take speech or you take homiletics, you know, homiletics is um, basically sermon preparation and delivery. It's a whole six credits if you want to be a pastor. It's homiletics one and homiletics two. Homiletics one, they're going to tell you how to teach you how to prepare a message. Homiletics two, they're going to teach you how to deliver a message. And one of the things that you learn in preparing and delivering a message is that you've got to state the point, restate it, state it in another way. And state it again. <laughs> so much so that when you get tired of restating it, that people are just now beginning to hear it. It's just now beginning to break through. That's why advertisers do what they do. That's why they kind of pummel us from all different angles and all different sides and in and, and every which way that, that they can. So we are part of the Spirit. And if, if, if he says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Um... Let's go back to, to verse 12, uh, verse 13, I'm sorry. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So if you live, if you, if you live to the flesh, you will die. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, like you might, you might ask, like, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, you know, the wages of sin is death. And that's something that Paul has, has said in Romans. The wages of sin is death. And, um, you know, what was the death? What was the death of, that came to Adam and Eve? You know, because the commandment was, you know, you can eat of all the trees of the garden. But of the, of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, you must not eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Of course, they ate of it and they didn't keel over, Right? But I think there was something that died. I think there was a, a death that happened. There was a spiritual death. And, and that's what we've been healed of. That's what's been remedied if we've been brought into the kingdom of God, if we've been brought into the family. 
And I think if you live by the flesh, there's a certain destruction that happens in your life. You can look around at your life and you can tote up all the great marks that you're hitting or whatever. But literally, if you're living according to the flesh, I mean, it's going to amount to ultimately destruction. And Paul says, if, if we live, if we live, verse 13, if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, what specific deeds of the body is he talking about? Because I can think of some deeds of the body that we need to keep around, you know, <laughs> like eating and, you know, drinking fluids and breathing, perhaps, you know, those are deeds or practices of the body. And we need to keep those around, but it's, it's this idea of those sinful things. It's a, those ideas of offering our body um, offering our members. Remember, he talks about offering, don't offer your members uh, in sin and that type of thing. And so when you do that, it, it, it is destructive. It is death. It is, there is a destructive nature to it. And, and I, I think that there's a, a compounding nature to, to that, that when you kind of begin to stack these things on top of one another, that it, 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 it brings about um, destruction, and you can be confirmed in those ways. You know, remember when Pharaoh, it says in the in Exodus that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And a lot of people say, well, how can God harden Pharaoh's heart? That's not right. He should just leave Pharaoh alone and just let him, you know, maybe Pharaoh was going to, you know, get, get, get it right. No, he gave Pharaoh every opportunity. He, he, he brought Moses and Aaron into the court uh, and, 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 and showed by demonstration the power of God and asked for the people of Israel to be delivered out of bondage in Egypt. And then one by one, God brought the, the plagues. And each time he just began to harden his heart. And really, when you look at that, there's, there's kind of a confirming. The longer that you resist when you're kind of acting, when you're not putting to death the deeds of the flesh, you can act in a repetitive way that, that you can kind of get confirmed in that path that you're heading down. And, and, and when you're no longer responsive to reproof and, and reject uh, and, and, and um, correction and, and, um, and, and all those things. And so we need to be very careful with those things. But he says, by the spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. In the Greek, just a couple Greek words here, death, to, to put to death is to mortify, right? To mortify the deeds of the body. And the, and the word in the Greek for the, for the deeds is actually a Greek word, praxis. It's actually where we get our word for um, this idea of practicing, of doing something. So like, you know, someone opens up a, they're a doctor, they open up a medical practice, or they're, they're a lawyer, they open up a legal practice. And, and so we have as... Um, as sinners in the, in the flesh, we have the deeds of the body. We have the practice of the flesh. And, and, and God wants us to quit the practice. <laughs> Shut it down, okay? Yeah. Shut it down. Shut down, close up, put, you know, closed, out of business, right? Put mortify, put to death the practice of the flesh. And, and, um, and sometimes that can be very practical things, very practical decisions in our lives, that we need to make um, to, to do that. Just as you would if you were going to shut down whatever you were doing. 
You know, if you were going to shut it down, you shut it down. You put it to death. You put it out to pasture. You're going to close down your business. You close down your business. You sell off your inventory and close up shop and put a closed sign on the window. You're done. Closed. Same thing for the deeds of the flesh. We put to death. We put, put an end by the Spirit, he says. You don't just do it. You don't mortify the flesh in the flesh. You mortify the flesh. You put to death the flesh. You put an end to the practice of, of the mortal deeds of the flesh by the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit. We have the, we have the Spirit of God upon us as believers, amen, in us, amen. upon us, upon us in power to be filled by the Spirit, to, to live out the Christian life, to be, to be His witnesses, amen? To be His witnesses. That's what, that's what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, I'm, you know, He's telling him he's, go, he's going away. He says, but, but, but wait here in Jerusalem for the Spirit of God. For you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria into the ends of the earth. And so when we say the word witnesses, and if you've grown up in church, you know, your mind immediately goes to, oh, well, God wants me to be witnesses. He wants me to go down and get, you know, get a bunch of good news tracks and go out on the corner. And, you know, here, here we go. You know, we got the chick tracks. Remember those cartoon tracks and whatever it is, you know, leave those on the bus for the bus rider that's going to get saved and whatever. And that's all great. But being a witness, the word witness there in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is actually the Greek word martis. It's actually where we get our word for martyr. And so to be the witness that Christ is talking about, filled with the Spirit, the Spirit upon us, is to be the type of person that's living in the Spirit, living out the life of a believer willing to do whatever it takes, even unto death, to live for God. And that's the type of thing that is kind of a characteristic mark of the family of God. And God, God wants us to do that and realize we have an obligation, not to the flesh, but to the spirit. Amen. And, uh, and so live with the idea that you have an obligation to the spirit, to live in the spirit, to live a life in the spirit and of the spirit. Amen. Secondly, tonight, live as family with God. If you're in the family, then live as family. Let's pick it up, verse 14. He says this, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Amen. Let's stop right there. So if you're, gonna, if you're in the family, Christian, then live as family. Live as family. You know, you can be in a family and not live as family. Just look at all the broken families out there. Look at all the broken relationships. Look at all the, the hurt relationships between fathers and sons and, and mothers and daughters and all, all, all the different types of relationships. And people are family, but they're not living as family. And we need to live as family. God's family is a family that lives as family. Amen? Yeah. If there's any family 
If there's any family that should live as family, it's the family of God. If you are led by the Spirit, if, if you're led by the Spirit of God, Paul says you're a son. You're a child of God. You're in the family. You are a son of God. And this is what the Lord Jesus came to do. Amen? He came to pay the price of sin, to take the punishment of sin, the chastisement of our peace was upon him to do what? To pay that price so that we could become the children of God. You know, John says it like this in his gospel, to as many as received him, he has given them the right to become the children of God. To what? To as many as received Christ. So if you've received Christ, you've been, and I call this the greatest right in the universe. And everyone wants to talk about rights. And we've got some wonderful rights here in the United States. Amen? The greatest country. I don't care what anyone says. I'll get, call me political or whatever. One of the greatest country on the face of the earth. Amen? Where you can worship God. Still can. <laughs> you can, you can, Get up every day and you can go out and you can become what you want to be. Amen? But that is still not as great <laughs> as the right that Jesus has given you to, to, if you've received him, to become his child. Amen? This is the greatest right in the universe the right of becoming the child of God. And how do you receive that right? By receiving Christ. Simply by receiving. Believing and receiving. You know, Jesus put it this way, you know, you must be born again, right? You must be born again. And of course, he was talking to Nicodemus, who was a Sadducee, one of the high rulers in the Jewish council. And he met with Jesus because he knew Jesus was a powerful man. He knew Jesus had done these miracles. He knew Jesus uh, was powerful in his teaching and his speech. So he meets with Jesus and Jesus tells him, you will by no means see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. You've got to be born again. And what does this mean? It means that you have to have God, you have to have the Lord as your father. You have to have God in heaven as your father. Amen? Mm -hmm. Now, this gets into an interesting discussion, and I should touch on it briefly. Because there is a notion that we're all God's children, right? This is the notion that's in the world. We're all God's children. We are God's offspring in that sense that God made Adam, and it says, if you look at the genealogy of, of Jesus in Luke, the one that takes it all the way back, Luke takes Jesus' genealogy all the way back to uh, Adam, right? Uh, Matthew only takes the genealogy, I believe, back to Abraham, because he had a different agenda in terms of who he was presenting Jesus as. G uh, Matthew presenting Jesus as the fulfillment the, of the Messiah, the King of Israel. Um, Luke is presenting Jesus as the son of man. So he takes him all the way back to the first man, Adam. And then, so he says, you know, the son of, 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 the son of Adam. And who's Adam the son of? God. 
So Adam was the son of God. But now we have to be given the right to become a son of God because we have to be born into the family. We have to be born into the kingdom. We have to be born into the family. So that's why Jesus says you must be born again. You will by no means see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. And really born again in John chapter 3, it is, it is born again, but it's also the idea of born from above. So it's, it's actually born from the Lord above. Amen? So we're born again into the family of God. And what, that, what happens when we're born from above? Look at this verse 15. Four, let's read 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And so you didn't receive a spirit of bondage to fear. And this is, the, this is, is really articulating that there is a way of God's family that is not based on fear. It's based on perfect love. It's based on God the Father bringing you into the family of God that you're literally birthed into the kingdom. You're birthed into the family. You are born again by the Spirit of God. And when you're in this family, it's conducted in the agape of God, the perfect love of God. And the agape of God casts out all fear. And so people have grown up in families that have had different ways of kind of, you know, getting things done, you know, keeping everything in line, you know, disciplinary ways, right? God operates from a pure agape. Uh, there's different, there's different, you know, different things that moms and dads do out there. I, I did, I don't know why this is popping into my head, but I just caught this video on Facebook, you know, it was the dog, the mother dog that had all the little barking puppies and she came in and went, and they were all quiet. And they're like, you know, take after that mother dog. She knows what she's doing, you know. She came in there and shut them puppies up. <laughs> I'm telling you. I am telling you. you... Listen, God operates in pure, pure agape, perfect agape. So he, so there's no fear-based, there's no intimidation. God isn't trying to intimidate you. God isn't trying to, from some fear-based angle, trying to persuade you into some activity or whatever. God is, is loving you perfectly. He's wanting to shower down as the Father of lights, giving you good things, giving you the wisdom of God, giving you the grace of God that you need, the forgiveness that you need, so that you can be a person of the Spirit in this family. And you haven't received a, a spirit of bondage to fear. Um, sometimes I bring up old TV shows, okay? So just, you know, forgive me or whatever, okay? Right? You got to forgive me. Because this is the family of God. We're operating in... <laughs> We're operating in pure agape in here, okay? But if you, remember the, if you remember the show Leave it to Beaver, what was the biggest fear that the kids on Leave it to Beaver had? It was being yelled at by their dad, remember? Oh, dad's going to be mad at you, Beaver. And then if he was telling his friend Eddie 
that dad was mad at him. Oh, well, did he yell at you? <laughs> did, did he yell at you? Like this was the worst thing that could happen to you, right? Your dad yelled at you. We didn't receive a spirit of bondage to fear. We have received a spirit of adoption. We've received a spirit in us that, that Paul says here that he has given us a spirit of sonship, of adoption, by whom we cry back to him, Abba. By, by, by virtue, by what, 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 what happens is that that spirit that he gives us cries back, Abba. Abba, Father. That's, that's what God is doing in his family. He, he, he doesn't operate in these other ways. He operates this way by giving his spirit and that we cry out from our spirit, Abba, Abba, right? And what is Abba? Abba is a term that means father, but it really means, I mean, father is in our language, in the English language, father, father. Father, father, yes, it's, it's, it's more like daddy. It's, it's more of, it's more akin to the intimate cry of a younger child to their, to their dad, to their daddy. And, and that's the type of relationship that we have with the Lord, amen? That we've received a spirit of sonship. That, and remember, I said we've been brought into the family every which way that you can be brought into a family. We've been born into the family. We've been adopted. Later, Paul's going to get in when we get into chapters 9, 10, and 11. If you're a Gentile, he's going to talk about how you've been grafted in through some botanical means, (laughs) spiritual botany that God has worked, right? In every which way, we've been brought into the family. Jesus taught the disciples to pray, Abba, Father. And this is so great. It's so great because it demonstrates the love that God has for us. Now, when you look at other religions, uh, well, and specifically Islam, they have this very strict monotheism. So much so that they balk at Christians who say that God is a father, that God is that the God ha- the God would have a son like that. that. There would be the son and the father, right? It's important that there's the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. I don't have time to get into it now, but it's actually philosophically the Trinity is is a, is a coherent is coherent philosophically, but the importance biblically that I want to bring to you is this, is that within the Trinity we have the demonstration of the relationship of the family because you have the Father, you have the Son and the Father loves the Son and that's why Jesus when he's with the disciples he said Love one another as I have loved you and as my Father has loved me. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. 
So there's a pattern of the love and there's a flow of the love that the Father loves the Son and the Son came into the world and loved us. And he loved us, it says in the New Testament, with a great love, with a great love with which he loved us. And so we cry out to him, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit, Paul says, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Holy Spirit, in other words, within you, if you are a member of this family, then you have the Spirit of God inside of you, and the Spirit of God inside of you should be is testifying, is, is letting you know that indeed you are a member of the family. And, and this is how we know. This is how we know. This is how I know that I'm saved. This is how I know that I'm a member of the family because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in me testifies that I am a child of God. He lets us know. The Holy Spirit, Paul put it this way, is the guarantee of our position in God's family. In, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, I'll throw it up on the screen behind me, Paul says this, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, in whom having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So when you heard the gospel and you received Christ, Christ came in, you were born from above, and you received the Spirit as a guarantee. You were literally sealed with the Holy Spirit. You received the Spirit as a, de- as a guarantee. It's literally like a down payment, like I've this, uh, there's a down payment. This is just rock solid. You have the Spirit of God. And so when Paul says in Romans, it's the Spirit of God that testifies and lets us know that indeed we are the, the children of God. And so back to the main point. If you're in God's family, then live as family. Live as family in the family of God. Both ways. To, 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 to the Lord, He's our Heavenly Father, Abba, and to those in the family which is not really a part of the message tonight, but I'm just kind of bringing that in. Amen? We need to live as family to one another, loving each other. And then last, live like you're headed for glory. Live like you're headed for glory. Verse 17, he says this, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And so this third point is this way about God's family is that his family are marked by people who live like we're headed somewhere, that we're headed for glory, that we're headed for a day when we're going to receive an inheritance, a promised inheritance that God has in store for us. Amen? And so we've got to live like we're headed for glory. Paul says, if we are children, then we're heirs. So if you've, if you've received Christ, you've been given right to be the son of God. And if you're, if you're a son or daughter of God, then you're heirs. Then you're heirs of God. Sons and daughters under Roman law were the heirs of their parents. They had very specific rights. We are heirs of God. We are, joint, we are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. Well, what do we get? <laughs> if there's this great inheritance, what is it? Well, the first thing we get is God. 
Amen? If you miss that, then you, 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 you don't totally get it. <laughs> Some people want all the benefits from God, but they don't have any use for God. And that's backwards. It's like, no, we get God. You have a loving heavenly father. You have someone in your life that's pouring out his love into you and casting out all fear. And that's why if you're making decisions, you're looking at things and fear is creeping in, then, then come back to the Lord and ask him to give you a peace. He's not the author of confusion. He's not the author of destruction. He's not the... The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it to the full, to have it more abundantly. That's right. Here and now, and when you're living that abundant life, live like you're also headed for glory. Mm-hmm. We're going from strength to strength. We're going from glory to glory. Amen? Amen? Lord, we're in the spirit. We're going into the manifest presence of God. When we see him, we're going to be like him. So the first thing, what do we get? We get God. We get everything. Secondly, we get everything that is God's. What? What's that? In the parable, how are we doing on time? We got three minutes. In the parable, one of the greatest parables, I think, it's got to be, right? The prodigal son. Mm -hmm. In the parable, we don't have time to go through that whole parable. But the prodigal, he says, look, dad, I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. Give me my inheritance now, right? He said, give me my inheritance now. Father says, okay, there you go. He goes out to summarize. He squanders it on riotous living, Jesus says. And he finds himself, after his friends take advantage of him and leave him for death, you know, there's no fun anymore. The money's all run out. The inheritance is gone. He's living in the gutters. He sits there in the gutters and he says, well, the door attendants, dads have it better than this. I'll go get a job working for dad. At least that'll be better than where I am now. So he, he goes back to the house. You know the story. The father sees him coming. He runs. He says, my, my son's come home. Kill the fatted calf. Throw a party. He throws the biggest bash that you've ever seen. He, th- he, 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 he kills the fatted calf. Jesus says, look, this is an amazing thing, right? So the other brother that didn't leave, he hears. And this is the way Jesus said, I'm going to read it, verse 25. Now his older son, this is Luke 15, Luke 15, 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and he drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Number one, music and dancing, okay, by Jesus, okay? So he he called one of his servants, and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf, calf. But he was angry. And he would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and he said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you, and I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. 
But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Amen? So, man, if you can't read the parable of the prodigal son and just not just want to get saved all over again, then I don't, you know, we, we need to talk. Amen? I mean, so much grace all around for everyone involved. And here to the son that didn't go anywhere, look, you've had it all. You need to realize you get God and you get everything that's God's. Amen? But Paul wraps it up. He says, yeah, we have an inheritance. But it may look, it may be, it may look rough at times. It may look bleak. He says, if we indeed suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Together. So there's a bunch of different ways I could wrap that up. But I'll do it this way. When we go through suffering, we have to understand a couple things. Number one, the writer of Hebrews says, treat all hardship as discipline. For God is treating you as, as true sons and not an illegitimate child. Could use a harsher word there, but we won't. Okay? Secondly, First, we're, we're the, hard, the hardship is discipline. Secondly, we're going through a process that Jesus himself went through, that he suffered and was glorified. And we're kind of going through a time that might look like suffering, but we're also going to be glorified with him. Amen? Mm-hmm. And so I think for the Christian... If it's good times, it's good times, praise the Lord. If it's rough times and looks like suffering, praise the Lord. Because if we suffer, we also are reminded that we're going to also be glorified with him because he suffered and was glorified. And he received that glorified body. And we're going to receive a glorified body. Amen? Praise the Lord. The older you get, the more that's the promise that you want to hang on to. <laughs> when you're young and you're running around and you break a leg and it comes right back and everything, you're like, ah, this is good. You get up in years and you're like, ah, that glorified body sounding better and better every day. Amen. Amen. That glorified body. But that glorified body is something else. That glorified body, there's no avenger that has anything on what you can do with this glorified body because, you know, you read the Gospels and Jesus was walking through walls and stuff on the other side of the resurrection. Amen? So, live like you're headed for glory. Christian, live like you're headed for glory. There's a way about God's family. There's a way. And uh, we need to understand those things.